welcome to Colors of the Dark. I am Rebecca McKendry, and with me is my co-host, Elric Kane. How are you doing on this fine one-hour episode yeah, man. of Colors of the Dark? Everyone has to dream, and I have a dream. I have a dream Elric that podcasting can return to a 60-minute format in this universe. Uh, I don't, we, This show, I think the closest we've ever gotten is probably like 85, 90, but... Uh, but most shows, you know, this is going to be like our flowers, uh, killers of the flower moon or flowers of the killer. This is our Oppenheimer episode. We're the, going the chance that we here. make a 60 minute episode drastically falls when we spend the first 10 minutes talking about the running time of our episode. If, if, so we're going to have to <laughs> move past our running time. I'm but not. So I'm not. Know, I'm on this. One day I'm it's going to happen the- and, and listeners are going to be like, holy shit, he did it. He he made a one hour. I, I'm talking from any podcast I'm involved in has never been an hour. So I'm dreaming. But maybe it's it. you. I know. I know. You always think like it's the guests and everything. It's, maybe it's you. It's not me. So, I'm, current, oh. I'm to the point. I'm ready. I'm not. I, I got no. I got no. Ta- actually, I have some pretty fun tangents in the second half of this. So, uh, <laughs> so do I. I'm looking forward to and I watch some pretty fun stuff up top and I have books. Okay. So well, let's yeah. talk about um, new so- movies wishful thinking here okay so i figure we would start by saying holy fucking shit true detective night country um i am so glad this is isa like having just you know she was on our episode but i can't even remember what show it was but yeah it was a couple years ago before tigers are not afraid had even come out because i I think it had done well in other countries I remember that Turk and I had seen it at a festival. I want to say like Overlook and we like completely freaked out about it. And we had her on the episode and then months, months later, it released here. And just seeing her go from that to this. And I am just, my students are all like, oh my God, you know, Issa. Like she is just this like rock star to them now. And I just absolutely love that. And it was so damn good. And I loved how much it blended you know, the crime element, because it did weave that back in, but it never really strayed away from that supernatural element either. It was just doing both kind of on the same track. Yeah. And in, in a way, again, I want to talk spoiler yeah. free because it, it I wouldn't want to run it for anyone, but it does come, it, it kind of honors, like at the start, it's going very left of what True Detective was, right? By being yeah. so supernatural, it finds a way to, cor- not course correct, because I actually like that tangent. Uh, you know tangent i guess (laughs) but when it circles back and to really kind of make sense as a crime story i think that's a smart thing for a series like that to do you know what i mean um i will say without any spoilers that in the final episode there was a point a reveal that i actually cheered out loud with like a fuck yes and i was by myself on the couch and everybody else had gone to sleep but it was a reveal that i was just it was the best twist ever yeah i was, um, I was, I was so, a little yeah. bummed that it's only six episodes that was probably the one thing that i i could have used even more time in that world because it's such a good world or a second season with the characters it, it's fascinating the discourse online is is just so intense around this and i don't know if it's because the ip or if, if there's just something culturally in the air that's making people crazy but i have not seen something get that much heat uh and negative press in a long time and yet other people love it right so it's yeah it's very well made and, and yeah. it is now beat the first one in the ratings so yeah like it is now the highest of the entire series so yay maybe they will keep leaning a little bit more super i mean the first season leans supernatural yeah. they actually i noticed they connected the first season 
to this season in the discussion about time and how it's like a flat disc and things like that. Like they definitely kind of linked the two together yeah. in some of the theories that came out. Um, Cause I was, when I was watching that final episode, it was very much like, Hey, I know, I remember that. That was like yellow King stuff. Um, so seeing that come back was really cool. And what so, I understand yeah. it was, um, Britain, she wrote it as its own series that had nothing to do with True Detective initially. And then it was the True Detective people who were like, can this be a True Detective thing? So, oh, so, they Hellraisered well, it. Which is cool. But it's also like another reason why criticism should never be pointed like at her. She's like created a piece of work that's then found a way to successfully fuse something else. It, yeah. It's just, I don't know, like the discourse, I, I'm getting pretty close to having to step away from. Uh, I mean, especially what's happened to Twitter as a as a platform, it, it's almost too. It's like it's lost its mind, and I I'm finding myself. And I have a high because I don't give a shit. I'll scroll through, but even me, I'm like, oh my god, everything I'm seeing now are just crazy fucking videos that are insanity uh, about the world. My favorite know? thing, you didn't even respond. Yeah. I was so I thought it was hilarious. Last week we posted, I guess it was our Patreon show on Twitter. And within seconds, the very first response back was, look at my ass in bio. Ass in bio. And I wrote, ass in bio. And I wrote back, like, this is the best comment we've ever yeah. gotten, man. Yeah. I love no, this. Ass, ass, ass in bio. bio is like, it seems to have caught on recently because I, it actually took me a few seconds at looking at the way it was written because I, I thought it was a person's name. And I was like, ass in, <laughs> ass, who's ass in bio? <laughs> like, but anyway, <laughs> that's how cutting edge we are with the internet. Um. No, what we are Yay, good at is Twitter. watching movies and, and, and I watch talking about stuff. Ones. Okay, so I'm going to kick us off here with Out of Darkness. Mm. So this is one that I had heard about when it played Fantastic Fest last year. And it's playing at the Draft Houses here in LA right now. I think it's playing at some AMCs through their Thrills and Chills um, screening series. And uh, yeah, so this one, I had loved the trailer of this. The setup is that it is some type of like a paleolithic clan like family who is traveling together and they arrive on some new homeland that they think is going to be you know this is this is our new home now and all of a sudden something lurking in the forest starts kind of picking them off one by one and the whole thing is shot and framed like a horror story so you are kind of um whatever is picking them off one by one is obscured through most of the movie and it is hyper hyper gory like this gets absolutely bonkers with how gory it is um this one i've seen get a lot of flack online because it does not go full horror at the end um so just know that going in but that said it is very much shot framed and presented like a horror film, it looks amazing. That's kind of the biggest takeaway from it that I had is it is just so beautifully shot, especially considering that the majority, I would say all the lighting um, is practicals. Like it's, it's fire is the majority of the lighting. It's diffused sunlight. I do not even know how they shot this because it is so pretty. So I assume that they had to pump that up a little bit, but for the majority of the movie, because all of the action is taking place at night, it is one person's face lit by fire and then darkness around them. And then you're seeing things in the darkness. It's really cool. And then there um, are these little kind of nuances where you realize that something else is there. So the group, um, they are led by this guy named Eden, Aiden, Edon, something like that. Um, it is all in kind of this Paleolithic language. And uh, they arrive, they wash up on the shore and you get the idea that they have been starving, that they left their other land because there wasn't food and that they view this as kind of their new homeland. 
and one of them's pregnant. There's fighting within the group. There's kind of, you know, a, a muscling for rank and whose girl is who. And uh, they get there and they still can't find food. They're still really struggling to find food in this new land. You get the idea. They keep seeing Northern Lights. So you're thinking like Greenland or Iceland or something like that. It feels very kind of cold at the same time. And uh, within the first day there, they start hearing things. They realize that there's something in the forest around them. And then one day they find this massive woolly mammoth carcass that has been completely picked apart. And they realize that they are now the prey of wherever they are. And they don't really know what it is that's hunting them yet. Um, it's got cannibalism in it because they're starving. Like it, it really has all the trappings of a horror film. So yeah, absolutely beautiful. I was mostly focused um, and fascinated by kind of the science and history that went into this. And I won't talk about that too much because I don't want to get into any of the reveals, but set in 43,000 BC. And um, is that like Clan of the got, Cave Bear type era? Like that kind of? Uh, I'll say more like, Quest for fire. Uh, it's got kind of a quest for fire feel to it where it feels kind of like the the director writer um, probably did a good amount of research into kind of what human life was like at that time. You know, what the clans would have functioned, like how they would have functioned, things like that. Um, this is a British Scottish film made on the Scottish lottery system, I believe, um, through their film lottery. But yeah, absolutely beautiful. One of my besides it looking so beautiful sound design fucking amazing in this because it is all just leaves and waves crashing and then the the shrill sounds of the things um happening around them and feeling you know that they're they're members of their clan are being kind of pulled into the darkness and then hearing what's happening to them because you can't see a lot of it it's all sound design and the sound design is amazing so that's out of darkness yeah, I have no idea. I just looked. Um, no idea when this is coming anywhere. I know it's in theaters now yeah. doing a limited theatrical. So while you can, it's beautiful. See it in a theater out of darkness. Yeah, I'll probably go straight to VOD. Um, I, all three films, this was not intentional. All three films I'll be talking about were all directed by women. So sorry, dudes. Uh, this is going to be that night. Uh, so my first one might still be kind of embargoed, but my theory with embargoes, are if you love something, set it free. Uh, only don't talk about things uh, if you didn't like it. Um, so I got a chance to see, it's still a few weeks early, I think it's coming out mid-March, uh, the film that kind of did it up at Sundance called Love Lies Bleeding. Uh, and this is the new film by Rose Glass, who made St. Maud. And there is nothing more exciting about a new voice when they make a second film that is not at all what you would expect from their first. Like St. Maud, A24, Quiet, you know, very, very focused, you know, very well done. And it got screwed over because of its release in America, like because it was coming out right in the pandemic. And in the UK, it was like, you know, going through the roof. And then it came out here and it's kind of with a whimper, even though critics liked it. It just didn't really. It was like, is like. Yeah, like you and I, I remember we got screening links for it and then I didn't. Yeah. I didn't even know it came out. At yeah, one I point. need to rewatch like, it. Like, hopefully, we'll talk to Rose. I'm hoping in the next, you know, once this film releases, um, because I, I think it's a film I want to revisit because of how you know you watched it and was just watching it on your laptop and stuff. So, and I remember liking it, but like, I have a feeling it's going to age really well because it's just a very mm-hmm. focused film. This is like following that up with Green Room. That's the kind of leap we're talking. And this is much more like I'm talking about on a horror show. It's more like if Green Room's making people list back in the a few years ago when that was at the end of the year. It's similar to that in terms of like a kind of like balls to the wall, just going for it action. Uh, it's like hor- it's really horny. 
It's really violent. It, it has some Cronenbergian <laughs> body horror for sure. Like there's actual horror dream, like almost like drug freak out moments. It's a queer exploitation film on like the, the best way that could possibly be, which is the kind of movies that you would never have seen that kind of representation as the lead characters of the kind of exploitation films we loved when we were watching things. This is that film where uh, Kristen Stewart is a uh, person who works at a gym and she's kind of just like, you know, kind of just hanging out, not doing much with her life. Uh, and one day this new gal rolls in played by like one of those. I've She's had a, a longish career. I've never seen her before. This is the first time I've ever noticed this actress played by Katie O'Brien. And it was just like, damn, like way to enter a movie. Like she's super buff. She's like wants to be a uh, an actual. I'm not going to give too much info or, you know, or even story details here. So don't freak out if you're listening. Uh, she wants to be go to get to Vegas for this big bodybuilding competition. But she's kind of homeless and just, you know, sleeping wherever she can get to each night. And uh, she runs into Dave Franco plays a, a brother-in-law of Kristen Stewart, who's a total scumbag in this. And he works for Ed Harris, who is her dad. And he is a criminal you don't know exactly what, but he runs a gun range and there's dark things in his past. Kristen Stewart has nothing to do with him anymore. Like doesn't even want to talk to her dad, hates her brother-in-law and she hooks up with this girl and the two of them, you know, it's like a real love story. It's like a, a really good love story. Like one of the best I've seen in a while where you actually give a shit about what happens to these two people, but then it gets violent and crazy. And I'm not going to say anything about the story of the film, but I was so just so happy to see a movie that just goes for it and and it's so it's kind of like it's not as crazy as something like Tatane, which is like way more on the surreal side like mm-hmm. this is all stuff that's still plausible and could like be happening uh and but it has that kind of energy which is not what my memory of saint maud is and so to me that's a really exciting thing because it means that this director is here to party and that's what we want from filmmakers and it, it's when i say it's horny it's probably the horniest film i've seen in a very long time like for a major feature and i was saying i really miss in like genre movies and this one is these two girls are into each other and it's all it's really cool uh and really funny it's a small screening room i started in because it's like one of those press ones probably this one's a little bit bigger maybe it fit like 45 50 people movies about to start Kristen stewart comes out to introduce it to us she's just like i want to tell you that no movie i've ever made means more to me than this because of the kind of story it is and i'm super excited for everyone. and we're just like wow okay Kristen stewart rolling in so I, I definitely want to put this on people's radar. It's the best thing I've seen this year of any kind of movie. It's just like really exciting and wow. fun. Wow. That's a really big compliment coming from Yeah. You. And I mean, not just, not just hard. This is just like the best so far this year of the movies. Wow. Time, and so. we're, we're first quarter done. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I, you know, my I, green room was my favorite movie of the year it came out and it has that energy. It's not the same story, but it has that kind of energy. I just love movies like that. Uh, and you know, Ed Harris is, looks wild in this movie when you get to see his hair and everything. It's just really cool. And uh, so putting that on people's list and we'll definitely, I, I think somebody had reached out to us about possibly getting Rose for a close to the release and i'd just be curious to yeah. hear the transition from something like saint maud to this it's very interesting so put it um, on your list love lies bleeding uh, when does this come out i think out? it's mid-march i think that's okay. what they said to me when, when we're in there but th- no one said the word embargo so i figured if i'm raving about it whatever it played at sundance and there's a lot of reviews coming out of sundance so i can't imagine it's um, a big deal so uh but looking forward to that one big time for everyone you know, I was going to do all my new releases up at the top, but I'm going to hold because horny films. So I might as nice, well yeah, put yeah. my horny film right afterwards. So I don't even know if you remember this. Like six months ago, 
you and I were going to go to the theater here in LA, Brain Dead Studios, and we were going to see an anime film called Wicked oh, yeah. City. Yeah, yeah, we talked. I want to see. And it. something I don't even remember what happened. Like one of our kids got sick or something like yeah. that, and we ended up having something to not horny. <laughs> Not horny at all happened. And suddenly we were like, okay, well, we can't go. And I had had it on my queue for a really long time, as in like I wanted to see it after we never made it. And I noticed it pop up on Tubi a couple of of weeks ago. So I was like, okay, you know what? Let's watch Wicked City. Now, this is an animated um, Japanese film. When I say animated, this is 100% not for kids. This is uh, hard R, even close to X. I would wow. put it more into the X range, which I was not expecting. Like I literally started this, and um, within the first couple of minutes, it's like full on sex scene, like animated boobs and such. Um, and then, and I will just give this was the greatest cold open ever because basically her vagina becomes a big fangy mouth, and she has these pointy legs that extends from it, and her vagina becomes a spider. And she becomes like this spider vagina. It's amazing. And then that is your intro into the world that there is demons. And that this character who has just had sex with this woman is basically um, kind of like a, I'll call it like an FBI agent who works for this agency that is supposed to be kind of bridging the worlds between the, the underworld, all the supernatural creatures and the humans. And there is currently a peace accord between the supernatural world and the humans that gets renewed every couple of decades. And it is about to be renewed as well. And there are all these important players rolling into Tokyo to sign this peace accord. And he has been enlisted along with a demon FBI agent um, to uh, guard some of these people, one in particular who he has to guard. And then she gets kidnapped by demons. And so this is it's a wild, complicated, very politically charged world between humans and demons. Um, a lot of sex, lot, lot of demon sex, a lot of really uncomfortable um sex. Some of it's sexy, and then there's a gang rape scene, and mm. that is not. And so, yeah, um, the the spider thing was kind of crazy. There's some weird tentacle porn, it's just a lot of sex. That said, this was awesome. Um, Is it I watched into in... English this version. Yeah, version? and I think it was Billy Bob Thornton. I'm 99. <laughs> I, I forgot. I wanted to. Go- I was trying to remind myself to Google that afterwards, and I thought because my first thought was, did Billy Bob Thornton do all of these? Um, because I think he's in the Princess Mononoke one as well. Yeah, he's um, famous so- for. I like them spider veg. Now, now I have to. Now Only it's late. probably not him. Okay. It's probably not him at all, but I'll Google that where you're talking about yeah. the next one. Um, but yeah, whoever it was dubbed in English on Tubi and it was a recognizable voice. Again, kind of, it sounded like. Often they are. I mean, like all, all the uh, Miyazaki's are always huge people. You know. That's why I think that I'm 90% sure he is on the Princess Mononoke. He's on one that I've watched okay. recently. Um, but yeah, so this one dubbed into English. And even though that some of the sex was kind of more misogynistic mean, um, it was still, this was such a cool ride. The demons were awesome. The world was awesome. This is 1987, apparently. And I will not profess to know my anime that well, but apparently this was like a landmark anime film, um, much like something like a ghost in the shell. So it was a really, really cool watch, um, especially for me, not, I've seen kind of anime's greatest hits. I mean, I've seen like the serial experiments lane and, um, you know, any of like the, the ghost in the shell type. Akira is anime or is it something else? Like what, what do people classify Akira? I consider it so. I I mean, I know it's based on anime, so I assume it's just such a big polished version of it. Yeah. 
Not, not, I mean, like I've seen every episode of Demon Slayer recently, but I'm not by no means an not expert either, on this. Yeah. But that said, this was a really kick-ass movie. Now, I'll see if that was Billy Bob Thornton while you talk about your next one. I just had to follow with this because, quite frankly, this is the horniest film I have seen in a long time. Um, To the point of, I don't think that more than five minutes passed in the movie where there was not some type of penetration happening. There's a lot of, I mean, obviously in Japan, there was a lot of that kind of stuff in literature, dark literature, a lot of movies we've watched. You know, it's like they don't have as much Christianity telling them that, you know, nudity's bad. So yeah, yeah like that's always been my experiment experience with a lot of, you know, kind of in Japanese um, anime and literature in general. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more kind of lax on the sex front than we see here, which is fine. I enjoyed it. Uh, my next one is called is another one that hasn't come out. Maybe it's coming out this week uh, called Lovely, Dark and Deep. And this is uh, by from this is from Teresa Sutherland, who's more known as a writer. She wrote The Wind and The Clock, um, two movies that we've both talked talked about here i'm doug uh and this is her direct i think this is her first one she's directing but um she wrote and directed this so this stars the star of barbarian that's why it will probably get some press georgina campbell uh playing a backwoods country ranger and she gets a job where you're in the middle of the forest but you're you you get a gig where you get a little shack in the forest and you walk a route and you're there to make sure people don't go missing and stuff and she's got psychological issues based on something that's happened in her past that is at you know a little too oblique for a lot of the film and then really goes to town in the like last act and what happens uh and so it's all about isolation um and she at a certain point uh finds somebody who had been missing and the person's acting basically as if they've been abducted by an alien or something uh and almost like they're displaced in time and she helps them out and then starts to learn maybe there's some conspiracy between uh, other rangers and whatever has been taking people and and so somewhere between that and these like mass freak out trippy scenes of her past very much a me movie like the kind of movie you would watch the trailer and go oh this is gonna be for our because it's definitely more art and psychological kind of weirdness than it is like answers i think that there's some people who get annoyed this and my next one both might lack certain clarity for some people there's some cool interesting things hinted towards what the bad what the evil might be in this that i think i'm trying to dance around a bit here uh i i you know so if you like them you know has an a24 kind of style in terms of i don't think it's an a24 film but it kind of i think it's xyz but it has that kind of vibe i thought it was really very interesting i thought maybe it was a little thin on the story but the style of the film was really cool and i love watching georgina campbell because i think she's really solid um but yeah interesting one I, like i said i believe it comes out this week um, and that's called Lovely, Dark, and Deep. Excellent. I'd heard good things about this one. It is so not Billy Bob Thornton. I apologize, <laughs> Mr. Thornton. Um, but I was correct. He did do Princess Mononoke. That was him in Princess ah. Mononoke. I do not know any of the people who voiced this, but um, the long and short takeaway is that it is, in fact, English dubbed on the 2B yeah. click for Wicked City. Um, do not watch with your kids. Yeah, I'll probably watch okay. the uh, intro tonight. I won't watch the whole thing. I'll just watch the cold open because cold I, open, amazing spider open. vagina, spider vagina. Um, and you sold me on lovely dark and wait, lovely deep. dark, lovely and dark and deep. deep. Yep. 
because it, okay. it's a little bit remember roxanne's one um body at brighton rock or something you're like body at brighton, rock, brighton rock. rock like it's that kind of world like those kind of characters who, where you've got people in the backwoods and where you know where this one made more like that one was a cool setup of the person has to look after a body overnight i think that's an interesting idea this one i found myself a little bit more engaged because there because there is really something happening in terms of like the spooky side um i just realized how fangoria branded i am for those of you not watching this on youtube I'm wearing a Fangoria shirt and holding a Fangoria mug. Hey, kids, subscribe to Fangoria. I'm wearing um, my while you're chini, listening. Chinichita shirt. So you should go. When, when, What's the when Chinichita? In, when in Rome, go visit Chinichita, the studio that Leone and Argento and everyone shot at. So I, I made oh, sure. Did you go visit that? Oh, yeah. It was the thing I did. By, it was the best. Thing. I did it by myself. I got on a train. I'm like, I am going to see this place before I die. And it's actually open to tours and i was in u571 the submarine I, I who knew that was there i was just like what the hell i'm standing in the u571 that's an american movie i didn't realize that was shot there but there's it's a, it's like a museum mixed a museum mixed with like um you can kind of tour some of the places where things are shot uh i think quite a bit of game of thrones might have been shot there recently so it's still some semi-active but of course when i walked out i'm just like i am buying all the t-shirts <laughs> so. so it was so cute one of my students when they came back from winter break came up to me and they had gone with their family to italy over christmas mm-hmm. and they they came up and they were like uh dr McHenry, i know you're into horror did you know that there's a horror shop in rome owned by this gay named jario argentino <laughs> and he he made movies and he now owns a shop and i'm Oh God, I don't that's even know where really to begin. Funny. But that's so cute. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, guy, I'm glad you went. That guy, that guy rules. By the way, Profondo Rosso is the <laughs> shop you're, she's talking about. That shop I know, I know. is so cool. And it's Luigi Cozy and he's just running with, I know we gave it a plug earlier, but. Uh, I want to go see Cozy. I want to go hang out with Cozy and just hang out with him and his wife in the shop. Yeah. It will happen eventually. No, it's, it's very neat. Uh, it's just cool. And, and it shows how much he really loves Dario Argento because he really does dedicate a lot of the place to him. And, you know, uh, I know he was an assistant director on a lot of the Ar- Argento films, but very cool. And, uh, totally just segue into nothing here. But on Tubi, they have a whole separate category. They have horror and they have Italian horror. That's pretty so cool. So I just have to give mad props yeah. to Tubi because if you just click on browse and all the genres pop up, it's very much like thrillers, drama, Oscar winning movies, horror, Italian horror. That is a bold fucking move right there. Yeah, no, so they're, they're, I, I like there's something different section or whatever it is. Yeah. It's just called something different and there's just random crazy. I haven't even clicked on that yet. Okay. That's pretty well, good. Now I've got my evening. Um, okay, well, hey, segue here. I'm taking us to one that is on Tubi. And this is a new release, a 2024 film that released straight to Tubi. And this, I'd never heard of this before, called Life of Belle, mm. and which sounds kind of like a Disney film. It's not. And this was recommended to me by one of our listeners on Twitter, I think. Somebody had messaged me and was like, I know you're occasionally into found footage. You should check this out. And so I decided to check out Life of Bell on Tubi. The um, biggest reason that I was like, hey, this works is it's like maybe 77 minutes long, mm. which is always nice. I have evenings where I'm like, I'm not going to make it through 120, but you hit me with 77 and I'm in for just about anything. I will watch anything if it is 77 minutes long. Um, so this one was nice and brisk. 
And it is a found footage film. This is a very homespun found footage film. Um, the guy who made it, his name is Sean Robinson, and he is the director, writer, and cinematographer. And I will say, you can feel that this was made on a budget. It feels like a paranormal activity where it was shot, you know, for a pittance. But at the same time, it's doing kind of the same things that paranormal activity is doing, where it you're viewing a lot of normality and then something slightly creepy. And because it's kind of built around this air of normality, when those slightly creepy things happen, it's got some genuinely terrifying stuff in it. Now, I ended up watching this with my kids because my kids were captivated by it. So I was watching it in the kitchen while I was making uh, a birthday cake. And um, I had just popped it in while I was waiting for the cake to cook. And slowly, both of my kids kind of migrated into the kitchen and started watching it with me. So we watched it as a group in the kitchen, which was kind of awesome. So it's the same um, similar setup of paranormal activity where you're with this kind of upper middle-class family. The whole setup is that the 10-year-old girl, the daughter is 10 years old, and it opens with her birthday. Her name is Belle. Um, and actually, let me back that up even more. It opens with news footage about how the entire family has been found dead, except for Belle, whose body was never found and is presumed missing. And the family was brutally murdered. It was really grisly. You're watching news footage of it. And it opens with this news footage about how everybody is dead and Belle has never been found. But they did find a video camera with all this footage on it. And then that's what you're about to watch is all this footage. And so the setup then is that she is 10 years old and for her birthday, she is given a camera and she wants to be a YouTuber. So she starts recording everything. Like here I am playing with slime and here's my favorite Barbie doll. And she's treating it very much like she's recording a YouTube video about her life. But then you become very aware of things that are happening in the background. It begins with kind of just an introduction to her mom, her dad, and her little brother, who she's constantly playing with. And you realize within the first couple of minutes that her dad is about to go away on some type of business trip. And that mom is having these kind of dreams, that she's having these really bad nightmares. And that has happened before. Dad's like, oh, it's happening again. And she's like, yeah, don't worry. You go on your trip. And then mom starts talking to herself, or at least you think she's, she's talking to something else in the room and she's arguing with it constantly. So a lot of the footage that you're seeing is mom slowly becoming more and more unhinged and then creepy stuff starts happening. So, and, and dad is kind of out of the picture. It's just mom and the two kids. So there's this constant air of waiting for mom to do something. What is going to happen? There's some rough patches. There's some, I will say the kids acting at different moments is a little rough, but that said, there was enough creepiness to really keep this moving forward. It's short and my kids loved it. Like this, I have a feeling this film, which was again, I just kind of a random watch for me is going to be like their Blair Witch. Like now, four days later, my kids are still talking about it. And even though that I watched it with much the same way that I kind of did a paranormal activity where I was like, yeah, that's creepy moments. It was cool. My like 10 year old is very much like, oh my God, did you see that? It was it real? No, honey, it wasn't real. Oh God, because it looked real. Um, Like they were super into it because it does have that kind of the found footage quality. Um, So yeah, this this was definitely, I will say, don't go in expecting it to be as kind of um, refined scare-wise as Paranormal Activity. Remember, they they reshot that ending a bunch of times to make it punch. Um, but that said, if you are a found footage fanatic, 
this is definitely worth a watch. It's got something really captivating to it and how the build works. So that is Life of Bell on Tubi 2024 just came out. You have to let your dead meat crew know because they were all talking about found footage. Remember a couple weeks ago? I couldn't remember. I thought I had gotten this from Twitter, but I couldn't remember if James was the one who had recommended this to me. I still think I got this off Twitter. I'm relatively sure that somebody on Twitter had been like, hey, Becky, you need to check this out. Um, but yeah, I know they dig, they dig the found footage. Um, the last one of the new ones I saw this week is one I had not heard of. You mentioned a couple, because I said to you, there hasn't been a lot of new stuff this week. And you said, oh, here's one title you'd heard of called Somewhere Quiet. Um, I almost watched that one last night and I opted for Out of Darkness. So I'm glad you checked yeah, it out. Yeah, we both we both took one. Um, and this is directed by Olivia West Lloyd, who I didn't know. Um, but I was really happy once I pushed play because there was suddenly an actor who I, uh, Kentucker Audley plays the husband in this. He is from Sundown Shine and She Dies Tomorrow. He's just an actor I've always liked in the very indie space. You know, the, those movies t-shirts I wear that just say movies? <laughs> he's the, With a period yeah, at the end. He's the creator of that label. Um, he, oh. so he, he runs a site called No Budget Film, but he's been an actor for a long time uh for like you know last 15 20 years he plays the husband uh jennifer kim uh plays his wife so it opens with a woman who has just been found and she has been being was being held captive you don't see what was happening to her she'd been held captive for a couple months thought dead and she's now returned to her home and her husband and her this is set a couple months after where they're trying to kind of get on with things she's still in the news so he takes her to this family home is that is in the middle of the woods but apparently adjacent to a beautiful beach so no clue where the hell they are uh and to have somewhere quiet i will say the worst thing about this movie is probably the title i think it's a very forgettable it's a shame because i think something a bit more hypnotic would be really useful for a movie like this um for where it goes but anyway it it is at least literal they do go somewhere quiet uh unfortunately her co his cousin who she's never met and the first played by Marin Ireland who's actually pretty big like pretty well known she's like the big kind of rolls into this movie like a bit of a tornado she if it, there's a good noir called Eileen that came out at the end of last year with Anne Hathaway and stuff mm -hmm. Marin Ireland a lot of people thought she might get an Oscar nom for like she's in two scenes but they are so critical uh and one of them she's tied up to a pole which is really strange because at some point in this movie that that happens to her too very interesting uh but she's a, just a really annoying like uh in this film she is just like all over her cousin super intrusive to the jennifer you know to this woman who's getting over something kind of just like kind of mean but always with a smile just very like the kind of person you do not want to be stuck with um so the quiet time is getting interrupted but every night she's having these dreams. She sees her husband sleepwalking. A lot of stuff is just not making sense. And then there's this, almost a bit of a get out vibe to this movie where there's also like, this is his great grandfather's house and she's Asian. And he's not, but on the wall, there's a picture of like all these people from, uh, you know, Korea from years before a camp, you know, in the thirties. And a lot of that doesn't fully come to fruition in terms of plot, but it has that feeling. It reminded me if you would ask me 20 minutes and I'd be like, I think it's going in the get out direction. Um, but I like this movie's really well made and it's a bummer that it has a lot of very oblique quality to kind of maybe the last act because I went on IMDb afterwards and I saw a lot of one out of tens, definitely people trying to attack it or like, this is just questions. There's no answer. What a bunch of people like very angry. So I want to put that up front because I, I don't, you know, if that's going to bother you to that extent, don't watch this movie. But this is a really well-made movie, very stylish, very like kind of dreamy. And I was very into getting these, these characters were interesting. I was really curious where it was going to build. Like she has some suspicion that maybe it was her husband 
that had abducted her all that time, but she doesn't understand why he would do that. There was tapes made about the abduction and he claims he never saw them. And it's building to an interesting place. I, I, I will admit maybe I was like 20% unsatisfied with like, I wish the ending had a little bit more clarity, but I also like those kind of movies. And so, but this was much more my bag than from you just saying the title. I thought this could have been any mainstream. The poster looked very mainstream, kind of generic. The title's generic. So when I turned it on, I didn't think it would be like this kind of um, my speed. And it really was. I actually dug it and thought it was pretty cool. Um, And everyone's really good in it. Um, It's, it's, it's interesting where it goes. It's like, it's got some weird uh, what happens when you try to block things out of your mind uh, through trauma and what whether that could lead to some issues in the, those kind of black hole moments of your mind. So yeah, I, I recommend it. I actually thought it was really cool. I was glad I watched it. I, Someplace I watch quiet. It. Somewhere quiet, I think. Somewhere quiet. Yeah. And this is on Amazon. Yeah, I had to pay a few bucks all for VOD. this one. Yeah, this one I was um, purchasing. So, but you know, again, like interesting that these, it has a bit in common, I'd say with the kind of mint, the way these, this and um uh, somewhere, uh, somewhere quiet and lovely, dark and deep are both looking mm-hmm. at the kind of female traumatized characters trying to get along in the world, but the trauma keeps interfering with the kind of mental space. There, there, there are definitely some similarities, and we've seen a few films like, like I think Clock has that. You know, there's lately it's it's interesting. I, I do tend to, I mean, I like House of Psychotic Woman. I'm a, I'm a fan of that. Uh, that the book, trauma that, porn. that book and and all of the movies mentioned and i do tend to enjoy not so much trauma i'm not a big fan of, uh, of trauma being the excuse i but i do find it interesting to watch films about like you know uh female freak out hysteria all that kind of stuff endlessly entertaining to me uh, female hysteria a lot is of, I mean, subgenre it, it, there's a uh, 150 plus movies about it i'd say in the horror genre uh <laughs> oh but, i'd say more yeah, than that a johnny uh still is the top of the list though. Of course. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm on books now. Do you have um, any other movies before we go over to no, books? No, I'm good. Okay. Let's put our nerd glasses on. Okay. okay. Um, I've got two books to talk okay. about this week. Um, so the first one is Einhollow. I'm probably saying this mm-hmm. wrong. So this is named after, I believe it is an Irish town. Um, this one I had seen pop up on some of my like new release stuff. And I like messaged the publisher and was like, holy shit, I really want to check it out. And I will say I was excited about it for reasons that were not true within the book, which I'll talk about in a sec. So Einhollow, this is by Tim McGregor, who I had not was not familiar with before, but he does have other books out there. And this is from Raw Dog Screaming Press. Um, Just released, actually, this releases today. So the day that this episode airs, this releases. Um, This one is real slow burn. It's not a scare a minute, but that's okay. It's all atmospheric and it's got a really cool place that it heads. This is set in 1797 on the Orkney Islands. Um, So the reason that I was kind of interested in it Pine Hollow, I had known as this supposed island in Ireland where Finn folk, who are the Irish mer people, mm-hmm. supposedly inhabit, where they like turn into humans and they hang out there. It's like their vacation home when I don't want to live in the sea. The Finn folk all go hang out on Ein Hollow. And so I assumed that this was going to be about mer people. So I was so excited about this. This was going to be some type of aquatic car. I will tell you right now, it is not, but that's okay. I still, when I realized that that's not fucking at all what it was about, 
it was still so good. I did not want to put it down. Um, so it focuses on a woman in 1797 living on this really isolated island who basically hates her life. Like she's young. She married this man like 20 some years her senior in kind of an arranged marriage. Um, she's got all these kids. It's a real tiny, tiny island. And she feels like she's constantly being oppressed. And just, you know, she kind of goes through the motions for her kids. Like she's got a lot of kids, which I'm sure women during that time period did. And so she's just kind of constantly going through the motions, but you get the idea that she's really unsatisfied with everything, especially her husband. Until one day, there's this like deserted cabin on the island. Like it's it's a very small amount of inhabitants, like seven families live there, but there's this deserted cabin. And one day this guy arrives on the island named Dr. Frankenstein. And he says, I've rented this cabin for the summer. I'm gonna be staying in the cabin. And he becomes friends with her and it then spirals from there where she is um, getting closer to Dr. Frankenstein, getting involved in his work. And so basically it is a clipping of the original Frankenstein story that never has been told. And so view it like Voyage of the Demeter, where it's like something that had been kind of alluded to in the original Frankenstein story, but this is kind of the, the microscopic lens focusing entirely on this one moment um, of Dr. Frankenstein kind of post-monster. And it was really cool where it turns into. It's short. It's um like novella-like. It's like 170 some pages. I read it in three evenings. And so even though that it is not like scare a minute, and even though there are not really fin folk in it, um, that that is definitely not the focus of the book. This still, I enjoyed it in kind of a retelling microscopic lens on a story that I already knew, but it was doing something much different with. So that's Ein Hollow or Ein Hollow just released this week. Okay, cool. Um, I'll just really, I'll do a real quick one. Um, I've just, the book I just finished. I'm on another one that it's been slowing me down a bit, even though it's well-written. But this was uh, thanks to Grady Hendrix a few days ago, or maybe as a week or two ago, he was on Twitter. One of the good things that still exists sometimes are these threads. And his thread on the day was... The only thing good on Twitter is Grady Hendrix. Well, just random threads (laughs) that pop up sometimes. And this was a good one because his thing was, in honor of people who wrote one off horror novels but never a, a second one it doesn't mean they didn't write other books and he uh started with let's go play with the atoms which I, i'm a big fan of and a super dark 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 novel uh hard to find stuff these are all the paperback from hell type things and he started posting a link of them so i the ones i hadn't heard of i was like writing down and literally ordered like three of them that i was curious about one of the ones i ordered um was called maynard's house um and this was probably from probably from the mid to late seventies written by Herman Ratcher. And that's what got me interested because I had just done this um, as you know, for Pearson, we just done this episode with Tarantino about IB Technicolor movies. And one of the movies that got Mm -hmm. the most love in that list was this movie called summer of 42, just a knockout coming of age movie. And this is the writer of that movie. And he's a very successful screenwriter. And he wrote other novels, but he wrote this one horror novel. So I was like, all right, I'll buy it. And it's very well written. Some of the horror stuff is maybe not as effective as others, but it's basically a, a young guy um, has, is leaving Vietnam, coming back to America. And his good friend in Vietnam who was killed willed him a little house in the middle of nowhere, Maine. That like, And he was a bit of a survivor, not a survivalist, but somebody 
um, who was reading, I can't remember who the, who's the great novelist who always writes in America about like surviving alone in the wilderness. And Jack London. It's not London. Cause that's more adventure. It's the guy who writes about it more poetically. Like this is. Thoreau. I can't, yeah, it might be. Yeah, it is. I think it is Thoreau. It's Thoreau is Walden. Yeah. Walden. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah his yeah. was all like the that's serenity it. of nature yes. and being out there alone. So there's a lot of allusions to that. Cause clearly the guy believed in that built this or had this house built house built. So this guy, this is a young guy and he, his friend died, but his friend, well, he's there said, if I, anything happens to me, I want you to be the one who takes over this house. And he's like, sure. And he gets there in this crazy snowstorm and this thing's so isolated and it's right in Maine. And one of the fun things about this book is the way it's written, which is with the main accents of the time, like the really strong ones, almost like everyone in it sounds like um, the guy from grandpa from Pet Symmetry. you know, with that, like that's, they all, it's all written into the way it's, way it's written. And it's just like very kind of amusing and fun to read. Um, and it's really well written. And so basically this guy's there and he starts to realize like, this probably is a pretty isolated for one there's no road you know he has to walk in miles in the snow to get to his place he's going to hole up there for a long time but it turns out outside there's something called the witch's rock um and it was said that this has been this place has been standing since when a woman who was accused of witch being a witch by the town had been murdered here and hung uh from this tree that doesn't cast a shadow outside his house and so it has a really interesting setup of like spooky stuff and some of it comes back a lot of it is him reliving things in his mind some ptsd stuff but also some weird there's one interesting sexual kind of witch encounter thing and it's really about can you also handle being alone it's very much about isolation i i thought it was a really it wasn't like a home run as a horror novel but it was so well written like literary literary wise it was definitely worth and not that long so i enjoyed it and i love these kind of i'd never heard of this book in my life right so when somebody kind of the way we talk about deep cut movies when somebody throws one of these up for me i'm like oh i'm curious to see what happened there and very cool connection to the movie so uh that's maynard's house wow okay that i just added it to my yeah, amazon queue even though that was the paperback from hell it looks like there's a new um pressing of it because it was only like 12 bucks yeah i think so. a lot of the ones he talked about have since had pressings a lot of the ones that weren't in his book are still out there in obscurity you know yeah, there's a lot of the paperbacks from hell that when I have Googled them, it's suddenly like, holy shit, that thing's like $200. Oh, let's so, go. When, um, when I first I th- first heard about Let's Go Play with the Adams at the Adams from um, a Room Org magazine, one, one, you know, a few years ago, it was at the back. Somebody recommended it, had to buy it straight away. I was like, what is this book? Of course, it was like, yeah, it was like over $100 and did not exist. Like there's so few copies. I read it, really liked it. And since Paperbacks from Hell, there's now a beautiful new printing of that that you could probably get for 15, 20 bucks. And that's like dark. That's about as dark a book as I've ever read. Really? I have never even heard of this one. Very and yes, 70s. there's now a paperback available for $20. Yeah. And it's just, again, it's, it's a, what well, I'll, I'll just let people know what that one is just because we're here. Uh, it is a girl who is a longtime babysitter for these teenager, uh, for these younger kids uh, at the Adams home. And one day she goes around to sit, she's going to have to babysit them for a weekend because the family's going out of town. This is in the seventies and the kids are there, but also a couple of their friends and they're pretty young. And one of their older teenage friends, who's a guy and another person, and they all turn on her and have been planning this whole time to basically do terrible things. And it's like really fucked up. It's like a, it's kind of like a weird babysitting Lord of the Flies. It's, but it's, it's bleak. So don't just go to it blindly. It's a last toss on the left kind of, but it would want, it's just one that had a real cult um, kind of reputation. And it's an interesting read though. Um, But yeah, again, it's fun how you can learn about these. 
Okay, well, the last book that I will talk about um, is Scare Waves. Mm -hmm. And this came out last October, October 2023. So it's taken me a bit to get around to it. This is by Trevor Henderson, who I got to meet at Midsummer Scream in, I guess it was last August before the book release. And it was awesome because we've been following each other on socials for a while. So it was awesome to finally get to meet him. Um, You will know him. He is kind of the creator of a lot of really popular creepypastas. Your kids would know him. He made siren head um is his invention he made cartoon cat um and then once you start looking into a lot of his art you realize just how many creepypastas he has created like he is like a brain of creepypastas um this is middle grade but i will say i deeply enjoyed it i read it with my son but it was still scary enough that I was super into it. A lot of like really weird creatures, Slenderman-esque creatures. Like it feels like it's it's full of creepypastas. Um, it's basically a about a town called Beacon Point. And the town is full of monsters and spooks and various spooky happenings. And it is kind of anthological in that you're learning about all of these different spooky things that are going on through the course of maybe five or six different kids, but they all intertwine. So it's got kind of this trick-or-treat quality where you'll hear about one kid and this creepy thing that happened to them during their after-school job, but then they will go visit this other kid and you'll follow this other kid. And so even though that it's different children within the town, they're all having these experiences and it's all intertwining. Additionally, it's intercut with this podcaster talking about all of the creepy stuff that's happening in the town. So sometimes the podcaster or um, or radio DJ, I'm not sure which it is, but they will just deliver them as straight stories. Like, hey, listeners, I'm here tonight to tell you the story of Bethany from 1982. And then you'll get the straight story of what happened to her. Um, This was awesome. My son loved it. I loved it. So many fucking creepy monsters in it. It was just amazingly well done because it does have like this real kind of slender man, contemporary monster nightmarish quality to it. I do not know how this is not a TV show. It feels like a world um, created that feels very much like this is what adolescent horror should be. If I if I was like 12 right now, this would be my world. So I I hope this is getting some love somewhere. This is put out by Scholastic back in October. So I can only hope this has been optioned by some studio, I hope. Nice. And And that is Scare Waves by Trevor Henderson. That one is a graphic novel, right? No, no, it's a regular novel. But because... Because Trevor is such like a good artist, like it is punctuated um, with books of like his creepy monsters that he's made. Um, So yeah, it's like every chapter is about basically a different monster. Um, Like there's one in particular that I totally dug about this centipede that this human, this massive human sized centipede that lives in a dumpster, but the, the segments all break apart and kind of form their own heads and mouths and this was like my favorite monster in the entire thing because you know how much i love bugs so even though that it is not exactly a graphic novel it's got enough pictures of the creepy monsters in it that it's very visual at the same time so that is scare waves i'm still waiting for your uh lisa frankenstein you're going to take one of your kids aren't you to I was supposed to go this weekend and we ended up not going and I really, really want to see it. And this is like the sucky thing is my students didn't like it. And I've seen so, a lot of like, a lot of female critics give it like real props and say it's really good. I wonder if it's going to be a bit of a Jennifer Bodies thing, like where it's I know not. do 
Yeah, like initially not well received. I know two of the people that I truly well respect, like BJ and Shannon McGrew, were both like, this is huge. Like if I'd been a 12 year old girl seeing this, this would be my jam. So I'm hoping that I'm that is for your of- reaction. I will listen to your review first, but I, I will admit again that I for for like the last five months, I thought it was directed by Zelda Adams from the Adams family. And I so every time I saw the poster, I was like, this is the most exciting leap ever. Like she went from making movies with her family to making this giant movie. And then recently someone pointed out, no, Zelda Williams. I was like, oh, I don't know that Zelda. That happened and then on somebody wrote show. to me going, you do know that Zelda, it's wrong. It's Robin Williams' daughter. And I'm like, ah, okay. Now I understand. There's a lot of a lot of families connected here. Um, but anyway, we have to still have the Adams family on here uh, because we I think do hundred percent. Uh, okay, so when we come back, so no guests this week because I had a crazy idea that I wanted to uh, get in pitch mode where we're going to throw around some fun ideas uh, for films. Uh, we're going to do a few films that we'd both like to see be remade or think would make for good remakes and a few films that we think we should see a sequel to. Uh, and some will just be the title and why we think so. And some might be weird pitches, whatever, whatever you got. Uh, and so bring your Hollywood execs to the table if uh, after we go, you know, use the bathroom. I hope studios are listening because we're about to dust off some gems you likely don't even know you we're have. gonna give you some free gold um one of these is one i actually wanted to write at one point but i'm just gonna throw it in here because you know what if this is one i chased the rights on yeah. for like a year so we'll talk about be the good that. stuff so quick break and then we'll be back All right, welcome back. I'm very excited about doing these kind of things. I love I love the gamification of the pitch. Uh, big fan of some of that. So as some people will know from listening to this, uh, we're going to start with a few remakes that we think are, because t- there's just so many interesting movies. I, and as you know, you're always constantly being asked to pitch on. Somebody will be like, oh, suddenly we have the MGM li- library and suddenly titles are being dusted out and everyone you know is pitching a Night of the Comet yep. movie or whatever it is at the time. Uh, I, all I'll say at the top of the remake section of this is the most excited I've ever been for a remake was when I read, I think it was in a film comment. This is a few years ago. Uh, it said that Gaspar Noe had secured, had seen Larry Cohen on a street and secured a remake of God told me to. And I remember being like, like just, that wasn't enough for me to go. That's going to be the craziest thing ever. And it never happened. Obviously. I wonder if it could still happen, but that was one of those ones. So it's that kind of a thing that I love to hear. It gets me excited about the concept. Um, Mine was when you told me, Oh gosh, name um, was remaking night tide. Uh, oh, Nicholas Reffin had, yeah. He, Nicholas Reffin was doing Night Tide, and I was like, oh, shit, that's like everything I love in the world in one package. He owns and then it. Again, he owns Night Tide now. Like, he owns it outright. Like, he's the, it's on his website. It's on his, like, he's the one who restored it. So anything could still happen. I know he was doing Maniac Cop for a long time, and it was meant to be a TV thing at one point. And again, that's gone quiet again. So sometimes these things are announced and make a big impression, and then they disappear. But these are just five that we each, that we'll go back and forth uh however you want to pitch it uh and we'll uh you know see if any of these resonate well i have a couple of like discussion points at the top so i will say um because it's for both i'll just say deep rising across the board (laughs) like this isn't one of my pitches like this is i have because i have pitched this i have blabbered this to everybody who will listen to me um deep rising is like my dream project but yeah it's it's um the i the biggest thing, because I, I hear this a lot and we've seen this with our listeners, like, why wouldn't somebody want to remake blank? And the biggest thing that any studio or any, you know, even smaller indie companies are looking for when they're debating what to remake, it's does it have name recognition? 
And so if I walk in and say this movie, and then the response from the studio execs is, wait, what is that? That's not a remake that they're going to consider because it does not, you want that IP that is immediately going to like ring bells that everybody's going to go, oh, it's this. And so that's usually what you're looking for with IP um, when you're pitching on remakes. So a lot of mine are not that. A lot of of mine are just movies that I feel are just taste and ones that no one would ever make because they don't have that. If you're remaking something, you want it to be like a nightmare on Elm Street. You want it to be that like the marketing is done for you just because it is this IP. And um, but we're yeah, pretty deep that... in the game of the because uh, since the 80s, so much has been remade and sequelized that they're they're running out of like the the gold standard IP. And they really do have to dig into the, uh, you know, the aisles a bit. So, yes, you're completely right with what they want. But what's possible? I think the other option is you put big, big swing spins on stuff that was lesser known, but you change it in a way that's enough for them to go. Oh, OK, maybe that could be like. Fun. Like Nightmare Alley. Like, I don't think that half the people who saw Nightmare Alley realized that it was a remake from like a 1940s film. Um, But it was. And so, you know, but it was because Del Toro put this massive, like big spin on it. And it doesn't even matter at that point that it's based on a prior film. Yeah, exactly. So we'll start with our remakes. We'll do it more like... uh... Uh, elevator style so they're short little bursts so this won't be otherwise we'd be talking about 20 20 things here um so do you want to kick it off or you want me to i'm gonna kick off with and i do not have elevator pitches as much as just like hey i feel like this needs an update um so yeah i am gonna kick off with one that i would absolutely love to see remade um horror comedies are not popular right now so this is not a great pitch or anything like that but bucket of blood Mm. This is one that I have always considered to be such a timeless concept and something that I find to be so fun. Bucket of Blood, this is a Corman film starring Dick Miller um, from back like 1950s, 60s. I didn't even write down the year. And the whole concept is this um, hapless guy who is starving to be part of the beatnik culture. And the beatnik culture in it is portrayed as just awful. They're just awful people who, you know, will put a dot on a sheet of paper and to create art. And he is so wanting to be part of this culture, but he's a shitty artist and they don't respect him. And he's just kind of a hangers on until one night he accidentally kills his landlady's cat. And to try to cover up the fact that there's a dead cat, he covers it in plaster and turns it into a statue. And then all of a sudden everybody sees it and is like, oh my God, this is brilliant. You've made art. You're brilliant. And so then he kills his landlady and turns her into a statue. And so he has to keep killing people because they're his art. And he is escalating and climbing the world of this really awful, judgy, um, artistic community. And at the same time, you're kind of seeing how terrible they are. You're seeing how terrible he is. It's hilarious the way that he's killing people because he's still just bumbling as hell. When I first saw this, it was the 2000 aughts and I was living in New York City and it was like the peak of the hipster craze, the handlebar mustache, you know, buy a vintage t-shirt and a fixie bike and you're cool and artistic. And so I remember watching it thinking that there was very much like this hipster spin on it that could have happened at the time. I feel like there still is, but now it's like a trans DJ thing. Like, Uh where is the art community now? Um, It's definitely changed a little bit over the last 20 years, but there's still it's such a timeless concept of this really kind of off 
centered, lacking reality art community, and then the hanger on who kind of happens into it through murder, I feel like is still a beautiful concept. I never saw, um, there's one that looked like it was drawing from it a bit on Netflix a couple years ago by the guy uh, with Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I wonder, does it have a little bit of that element? It does. And I, it feels very neon demon-y too. Um, So yeah, I loved it. It critically did awful. And I thought it's a satire. Well, everyone wanted Nightcrawler because the guy had done Nightcrawler beforehand. Everybody wanted Nightcrawler. They wanted just this brutal killing in the art world. And it's not, it feels like Verhoeven, but funny. And so it's that level of satire. I thought it was great. And I remember that was um because we were doing shockwaves at the time it was like in my top five of the year and it critically just got hmm. destroyed so velvet buzzsaw it was fun okay. it felt kind of like a bucket of blood that's a good connection then um okay my my number five uh this is one a movie i actually really like but i do think it could i've got a cool idea of how you could remake that is us and it's stephen king so how can you go wrong stephen king's silver bullet which is a really cool movie and but what it isn't, it isn't what the book was, which is called Cycle of the Werewolf. This was a 1985 film. But what's cool about the book version, I really do like this movie. I think it's got some really cool scares, some real cool weird stuff. But, you know, you could remake it for sure just as a straight movie. But what I would do is I would do this one as a um, because what the Cycle of the Werewolf is about is the story is about a killing happening every month in this town that they're trying Mm -hmm. to solve. So I would do a one season HBO show like the outsider and do 12 episodes, each one with a different murder while the kids trying to figure out what it is. The town thinks it's a kind of crazed killer and the kid thinks it's a werewolf. And we all know if we've seen the movie, what it was. Uh, I think that would be a really cool because the outsider was just one of the best King adaptations, I think. And using the TV format, I think really helped rather than trying to do something in two hours. So anyway, that's my, so I think silver bullet as cycle of the werewolf, but 12 episodes HBO. That's my pitch for that. one. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> Let's do it. Brilliant. Greenlight? You know, I got <laughs> so excited a couple of years ago. Um, oh gosh, I can't even remember who it was. It was somebody that, oh, Andy Machete uh-huh. announced that he was doing the Howling reboot for oh, Netflix. Good, yeah. I don't think it ever happened either. But I've heard, it was like this brief moment of, that sounds, um, that's the guy who did it. Yeah. Where I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. I think and there's I still something to that because um, the guy I work with that you know, uh, our friend Dwayne, he uh-huh. had adapted that because his good friend had all the Gary Bradner stuff. And um, and then about a year ago, he told me they no longer had the howling stuff from that and that somebody bigger was trying to do it. And so that was yeah. it was supposed to go to Netflix with Andy Machete, which I would kill to watch. Interesting. Um, OK, so my next one is The Gate from 1987. I can't believe this has not been remade yet because for people of our generation, like, you know, millennial, older millennials, this was some fucking kinder drama stuff. Like this definitely was, was one that messed me up when I saw it, when I was like, you know, seven, eight years old, um, seeing this. And so, yeah, this was an intense film at the time, but it is very much like uh, adolescent horror. And the the issue that I see current temporarily of why it probably would not get through is that kinder trauma, it, like this level of adolescent heart, it's just not selling as well right now, which breaks my heart. Like I want more the Goosebumps reboot on Hulu. I'm sorry, it was um, uh, they did 
Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then they just did another one on Hulu. I can't remember which one they did on Hulu um, that they did this adolescent horror. And then there's been a couple of them to Netflix, but there is just not the surplus like we had in the 90s. And so I love The Gate. I feel like, you know, maintaining the original story about a group of kids whose parents are gone for the weekend that through various circumstances open a gateway to a demon world within their house. I think is brilliant. I love this so much because it was like house for kids where the house itself became a maze that they had to get through where they were moving through the different rooms and there were monsters in each of them. I feel like there's something so smart there. So yeah, Gate, 1987. How has this not been remade? And and that it's very creatively directed, but I, I agree with you. I think so, I think we everything's a little safe that involves mm-hmm. kids nowadays. And this could be like, imagine you get the director of Marianne, you know, that, that oh, yeah. like get the director of that to come make a redo of this and make it like really dark for kids that would be pretty cool Um, that's also one of those titles that i'm not even sure that the studio who has it would know what it is it reminds me um i have to tell this story just because the exec who i was pitching to is so long gone this probably it was like right before the pandemic so probably like four years ago i was on a pitch over at disney and while i was there they have one property at disney that i've always, always wanted to do some type of reboot on. And I finished my whole thing. I was pitching on a specific thing that they had sent me. And after I'm done, I'm like, hey, if y'all ever want to do something with Maniac Mansion, call me. Now, Maniac Mansion is this video game from like late 80s that I used to love. It was on NES. I think it was put out by Lucas Films. And because Disney had bought Lucas, they owned it. So when I said, Hey, if you guys ever want to do with anything with Maniac Mansion, call me. Her response was Maniac Mansion. And I said, yeah, it's a video game from the late 80s. You guys own it. And she goes, we do. Hmm. And that's never what you want when you're doing this. I still think that Maniac Mansion would be an amazing one. But again, that's that's like why it would never get rebooted. I loved Maniac Mansion so much. I still think there's an amazing TV show. I think I did play that. I have to like see the graphics. The Purple Tentacle. That's like the one that everybody remembers. But yeah, it was a group of kids who went over to the next door house, which was owned by a mad scientist and kind of like got stuck in the house. And yeah, it's it's. That wasn't one of my five. That was just kind of like a sidebar yeah. about me trying to get Maniac Mansion through Disney right. and them knowing yeah. that they owned it. The gate was so, the yeah. actual pick. No, um, but yeah, the gate. <laughs> Go adolescent horror. Yeah, no, I'm down for. It. Um, okay, my next one is one that I would genuinely like to do. I think it's one of the best films of the '60s. Uh, Seance on a wet afternoon is this love this movie okay so here's my little tweak that i would do because i think this movie's perfect it doesn't need to be remade so this is about for people who don't know because you kind of need to know this part uh it's about a medium and her husband and she's like the local medium in this town and some people believe her and you kind of believe that she she seems fairly believable and her husband's is played by richard attenborough from uh uh, beloved um uh, dinosaur movies that are (laughs) of course uh jurassic park and uh he they decide to basically stage a kidnapping so is that they will just uh, he will abduct this boy they'll keep the person or girl i can't remember they'll keep the person safe in a room so she can look like a heroic uh medium so she can become famous and it will work out for them so that's what the crime of course things start going wrong it's one of the best it's got a spooky quality but it's not really horror it's definitely a crime film like it's and it's near perfect so my only tweak is i would remake this in a blumhouse model and i would do the same story but that something goes wrong with the kidnapping. There's a real death. And then it would become like a ghost possession thing, like driving him, like the thing would be getting revenge on them in the second half of this and go super spooky with it. I think it could be a fun one to like 
bring into the supernatural. Um, but you'd still want this crime setup because it's such a good, you know, so. And if, for people who haven't seen this, it's just a terrific, like two of the best performances, Kim Stanley, Richard Adamer in the 60s. They are on fire oh, in this good. movie. Great little film. And I, that that title is amazing. It's a great title, yeah. Um, so much, I used it. I used that title. So um, I guess it was three years ago. I wrote a short story in the Eyeless Man anthology that came out from Simon & Schuster, part of the Shutter Video Palace um, podcast. They did these like little short stories and I named mine um, Dreaming in Lilac on an Afternoon or something that was like Like Lilac Dreaming on an Afternoon. I literally modeled it after that title because I thought that title kicked so much ass. Yeah, it's really um so yeah, no, great. And it's hard to see for I remember when I started about I started about 21 or 22 in New Zealand and it had just kind of like come back. Like it was I remember it saying on the cover, like, oh, finally it's available. It's been out of circulation for like 20 years. So you know, definitely check it out. Okay, my next one, the stuff. Oh yeah. Larry. This is another one that I'm just like, how has no one remade this? I feel like there is such a fun modern twist on this using influencers, the health craze on Instagram and TikTok, health influencers across the board and kind of the trendy health foods of how, you know, okay, I need to drink more almond milk, Aki berries, I'll eat all the Aki berries and how kind of subject we are to that now. The idea that, you know, somebody is going to pop up and say like, okay, well, we're all into agave and chia this week. And so that's what we're eating. I don't know if I would go aliens with it just because we as a society still have this thing where it's hard for us to take aliens seriously at this point. Um, So I'm not sure if I would do that, but just the idea of consuming something that you don't really know what it is, but it has been kind of sold to you as this is healthy. And then as soon as I started thinking about that, I started to think about my family's excessive consumption of not meat meats. Mm -hmm. And then I was suddenly like, oh, hey, that kind of makes sense. Like the amount of impossible burger that I eat in a week is pretty stunning um, because my kid won't eat meat. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it lets me just cook one meal if I cook like the impossible chicken nuggets and things like that. I have no fucking clue what is in those, um, but I eat them a lot. Very Soylent so. Green. I, th- I see a Soylent Green and the Stuff crossover movie coming. Down. Exactly. Like, I feel like there is something there, especially kind of bringing in the health influencer angle to it. Yeah, no, I think that's um, a great kind angle of where that, it yeah. starts. So, yeah, the stuff. I love this movie so much. It was obviously a huge part of the fitness craze of the 1980s, yeah. as well as kind of commercialism and everything thing and um the original stuff always looked delectable yeah like i watched that movie and i'm still like it looks like like melted vanilla ice cream or like marshmallow or yogurt like marshmallow, marshmallow fluff yeah, yeah. It, so whatever it is it's got to look like that marshmallow fluff larry's so good i mean larry's concepts are i would say all his movies you could take the just the concept modernize it and they all make for mm-hmm. interesting possibilities um okay i think that's a winner um my next one is the one i i've been saying this for years and i truly think I sometimes don't suggest remaking perfect movies. This is a perfect and pretty recent movie, but I do think there's a reason to remake it. And that is Audition by Takeshi Miike. And what I've been- Wow, that's a bold Well, for years I've been saying, make a remake set in Hollywood, me too. Producer, Hollywood producer, friend of a guy, stages a fake movie just to get this guy, a woman, cast it and then go crazy with it. I don't, outside of that, it's really about the positioning in in Hollywood. Because, you know, watching this film, it's set in Japan and one guy's in the movie industry, sure. But- 
I think if you actually put made this Hollywood story right now, it could be very interesting where you could, where you could push, you'd obviously have to find some new ground in there, but uh, I would definitely don't care if it's uh, an English speaking actress, she would still say kitty, 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 because it has to happen. (laughs) But, but I do like the idea of uh, this, this relocated to Hollywood personally. Okay, next up for me, I don't even know what number. I'm on I two, wrote a number big two. list. Two. So this of the is my remakes, second yeah. one. Oh, this is my, I have two left. Yeah. Okay, because I wrote a giant list and I'm just kind of picking my best yeah. up. Um, so for number two, I'm going to go the crazies. Oh, cool, yeah. Now we just had a crazies in the 2006, Timothy 2007. Yeah, he's really, Timothy really good. Really yeah, good it's movie. really good. Yeah. And the original, really good. This is one that I feel like we could easily dust this off much like an invasion of the body snatchers dust this shit off every 25 years mm-hmm. and do it again. Great title. Because this is the craziest yeah. great title, such a timeless concept. I love the idea of and I feel like the reason that this um kind of struck me is our heavy political divide right now. Like if the town already thinks their neighbors are crazy, um, like I go back to my parents' house in Virginia and they legit, some of their neighbors are conspiracy theorists. They legit already think their neighbors are crazy, especially when Q was a thing. And so, you know, kind of using that political divide, if you are already pissed as shit at your neighbors, if you've already got these kind of political divides happening, if there's already kind of this major battle happening within one town over political issues, kind of adding this spreading contagion that just like sends people off their nut rockers, I think really adds to it. And so just using that kind of political backdrop within a small town, I feel is a really fascinating way to kind of enter into it. And then Crazies has always been set in a small town. It's always um, the first two, they've been very small, rural, Southern towns. I'm honestly intrigued by what happens if it spreads to a bigger city. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of always been the thing is that it's contained and that, you know, the government can step in and be like, okay, well, we're trying to contain the spread. Um, and it's like a ragtag group of people who are trying to get out while also escaping the crazies. I'm intrigued by what happens if it goes to a slightly bigger city, not massive, just not the tiny little berg as well yeah no it gets more expensive i'm gonna need 100 million That's for okay. that one i've got there. some we got some big so, pitches coming you know good good okay uh, so yeah i agree with you the about crazies in like chicago yeah um i feel like or some uh let's say a city that has a lot more political divide yeah i feel like there's something really fascinating about yes what so in other words like one of the sw- literal swing state ones that de- mm. de- tend to decide the election that go either way yeah. yeah that's a that's a good idea um my number two is is my number one for just like the movie i would most want to remake and i've been saying this for a few years i think people we know maybe was working on a remake of it. it's just a good movie i have less of a clear like why it should be remade just it's a good movie that's the sentinel uh, I've, I've for years have just think this is a great movie still a lot of people don't know about it it's michael winter 1977 uh brownstones are probably even harder to get than when she was struggling to get one back she's like can't find a place to live there's a beautiful brownstone but that's impossible trust us we've got a deal for you uh nowadays it would be even less likely but uh she's a fashion model ends up in this house and it's got this just super creepy vibe there's a blind priest who lives on the top floor otherwise she's alone but we then start meeting all these crazy weird neighbors and odd eccentric people all of that stuff's fun but where this movie just becomes part of the your memory about horror movies is when it starts to realize there's like this portal to hell and that's the point of the movie is that somebody is watching over this uh and without spoiling too much more what only thing i might tweak is like 
Well, number one, we're keeping Burgess Meredith in the cat party, so don't worry. That stays. The birthday cat party isn't going anywhere. I'm gonna That's my favorite. I know. Scene. I'm gonna build the, cat the whole gets thing a around. It's a little it. hot. It's really it's, it's very cute. cute. Uh, no, but I think like there's a couple of really scary moments where like a door opens back and like a dead person walks through and then like exits the scene without attacking her or anything. It's really frightening. I would maybe go merge it a little bit with kind of the last act of the beyond and maybe we push into that world for a little bit of this just so we can see something that we didn't see in the original. But either way, I would probably present this more of a slow burn A24 horror movie that has a like really killer last 30 minutes, like really push where you can go. But if you haven't seen it, check out the original. Um, And I just think this is a movie that would actually be fun to see as a remake in general. Yeah. 100%. Um, Okay, so I will say um, my original top one was Event Horizon. I I Um, put it in my list too. Like I was like, what would it be? But it definitely could be a remake. It's been slated so many times. Like there was, I know for a stretch, there was a movie and then it got slated for a TV show. And there was a stretch where it was like in development as a TV show. It was Adam Wingard. Or somebody and like it, that, yeah, for a while. It was somebody, and it didn't go anywhere. And I ha- I remember hearing stories that it was like, you know, we're, it's, we're just not seeing that right now. Yeah. Like, we're not seeing these, like, giant space epics in television. It'd be really yeah. expensive. Um, And so it did not necessarily feel like something that was going to merit the cost of it. But, yeah, so that I, I remember kind of when, this is probably pre-pandemic, I remember hearing about all these different development things. So that's definitely a dream project, but I will say, the one that is like my personal like holy shit i would fucking love to do this and i just even if i can't i think it needs to be done burnt offerings um this one i mean it's such a good movie to begin with this is karen black and it feels like such a contemporary setup where a family can't afford to live they are struggling they have no idea what they're going to do they are down on their luck and what they end up finding is the 1976 equivalent of like an Airbnb Mm. is and it's before it's a thing where they are renting it. They're renting it for a couple of months, but they basically have to step in um, as kind of caretakers of it at the same time. And the whole setup is that there's this woman living up in the attic and she doesn't come out. You just got to drop off food like three times a day and she'll eat the food. Don't talk to her. She's fine. You just go up, make sure that, you know, she's eating her food. She'll put the dishes back outside the door. Don't see her. And that in itself is an amazing setup. And then while the family is in the house, slowly things start to happen. They start to kind of act differently. Um, Oliver Reed starts to become more aggressive. Talk about a fucking scary pool scene. Yeah, it's one of the best best pool pool scenes ever. Ever. Um, This one, it just feels so contemporary to me in the statements that it's making on kind of like the poverty of just kind of the American family, um, the how hard it is to get by the widening, um, you know, social gaps within, you know, uh, the class systems, and then kind of the whole idea that they are staying in this decrepit mansion, which feels like a relic of the past with this very kept woman up in the attic. They're just, it feels like there's so much happening and it is such a cool setup. And the reason that I feel like this would be a really good one now is that it is also self-contained. Like most horror films now, I'll say like the majority of them, 3 million and below, I'll say kind of the bigger ones that we see coming out theatrically, even like the night swims, everything's still below like 15 million for the most part. 
And so unless it's like something massive, like if James Wan's making like a nun reboot, cool, mm -hmm. they throw money at that. But for the majority of it, it's the one, you know, it's always kind of like, you know, 15 million max. And that's for like big giant ones. Um, this, you know, it's self-contained. This entire movie takes place at that house. You have a short, small scene with them before they move in. And then it's almost entirely in that like Allardyce mansion. And so it is that kind of the night swim containedness of it, where the majority of it takes place in the one place. So I feel like there is a really strong play for this now. That said, um, I'm sure if I walked into a couple of studios, I don't even know who owns this. Oh, it's United Artist was the original. Um, and oh, yeah, Dan Curtis. It was Dan Curtis. But I feel like, you know, the very first he's, thing I'd hear is what's yeah. what's burnt offerings. And then yeah. little horror nerds like me are like, oh, my God, it's amazing. But yeah, this is one that I have long kind of just said, like, there is a really smart, fun, contained reboot of this that would be scary as fuck. Yeah, and the house is kind of like an emotional vampire of the people who mm -hmm. live in it. And that does seem to say something about uh, the crisis of, you know, housing crisis for people. The housing crisis, yeah. right? I like that. My my next one isn't about saying anything. It's just the movie. A, it's the one of the best movies of the 80s. B, I do think it'd be really fun to see it remade right now. And uh, I, I, I won't put too much of a spin on it, but that is Demons. Demons. I just want to see Demons set in a movie theater balls to the wall action it's such a great movie but you could totally remake it what i would do and again i think most people would just if you're going to remake it contemporize it what i would do is a straight remake still in the 80s but move it to 42nd street new york city oh like, so, so just, it's, it's just new york they're all at a new york premiere it's a grindhouse some of it spills out on the seat and it is just the same carnage it is just such an excitingly made movie that I'm like, come on, let's see demons set a new demons trilogy or something, or however many they end up making of the loose trilogy ones. But the first two, at least, uh, I think this would be really fun to see those made. Um, my only honorable mention of like just a no brainer that somebody needs to bring back Pumpkinhead at some point because Pumpkinhead. That's is, another one yeah, where there's such been a like smart... four different versions of it that have been announced. Yeah, it's just and... such a smart uh, and interesting creature that I think you need somebody to write a really good script for. I think it needs to be like, it's got to be like a more of a complex revenge tale, I think. Um, but it is such a great creature and such a great mythos. My honorable mention of more of like, I don't know how to do it, but yeah. it's one that I want to see is cat people mm. um, because cats time, aren't yeah. scary yeah. anymore. I mean, we've had like our two, three. I mean, I guess like, you know, there was the like, um, yeah what was the, the Val, uh sleepwalkers, oh, sleepwalkers. you're right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sleepwalkers is yeah like we've had a couple of different cat monsters yeah. throughout our horror years but that said i don't know if people would buy cat creatures as scary right now because we just don't think of cats that way anymore like yeah. cats are funny and fuzzy and knock shit off tables and boop your nose well, i guess they're more um, like leopardy aren't they like or whatever they're like yeah. those kind of cats but even then they're more cute and beautiful now i still want them to like crawl into yeah. a box and play it's... and bat things around so i don't even know if there's a scary version of cat people right now but that's another one that i'm always like you know i feel like somebody could do something really clever with that i'm not the one to do that but there's something there the challenge is laid down um all right so now so those are our remakes sequels lots of good stuff so these are the films we think there should be sequels to in the same way I started last part, the, the movie I most wanted a sequel in my entire life as a kid, I've told you this before, I remember the second Nightbreed ended, 
and I watched it on VHS and it had just come out. I was just like, oh, I can't wait till next year to see the rest of the story because this is the best story I've ever seen. And then it just never came. And I think that was a true coming of age moment for me where I realized, wait, I just thought everything in Hollywood works like they make this. And if there's a cliffhanger, it means there's going to be more. And there never was. And I wanted it so badly. Um, but other people, I still get email. I still get texts. Probably I'd say tweets like three times a year where somebody goes, oh, well, you haven't heard a pitch till you've heard Elric's Predator Purge hybrid. So, the, you know, that's still on the cards. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it led to an even better idea. Guys, greatest of all time. If you want to be the GOAT, imagine right now what Hollywood would react if Gus Van Sant announced he was making Psycho 2 with Vince Vaughn and did it shot oh. for shot. Imagine doing two of them. Like he, of Psycho he brings, 2. He brings, it's been like 10 years. He could bring him back. It could be shot for shot of Psycho 2. And you have Vince Vaughn a little older. Julian Moore could be at the start. He could knock her on the head. Oh, my God. That would be like such a ballsy move when everyone hated Psycho your 2 other the movie. the one with the nun? That's or is three. That the third Psycho one? 2 That's is a three. masterpiece, okay. uh, like an, a real masterpiece. But it's just, it would be such a funny, given that no one, like for the most part, everyone shits on the first one, it would be like the craziest art move for a human to make uh, would be to do that. Anyway, that was my my crazy swing idea. Um, and of course, if you had asked me two weeks ago what my what, what I'd want more than any sequel, I would have told you it follows. And the fact that that is actually happening. So that makes me very happy. So that that's my precursor oh, yeah. ramble to the real deal, crazy sequel world. Uh, let's hear it. Okay, I'm going to kick us off with Oculus. Mm. This was, I love the Vassar glass. Mm-hmm. Like I immediately, okay, shit. Mirror like makes you see shit and kill your family and eat light bulbs and whoa. And it was so fucking trippy and contained. I I saw it. It was very much for me, like one of those Amityvilles where like the shit gets smuggled yes, out of the very house. Very like, much an Amityville. It's about yeah. time, mm-hmm. the dollhouse, yeah. the, you know, the haunted lamp, things like that. It was that, but a mirror. I would watch 20 more of those just seeing like, oh, what's the fucked up mirror going to do now? I could not believe it did not get a sequel. I know if memory serves, I can't even remember. No, that one was through Blumhouse. I don't know why that didn't get a sequel. Oculus should have had a sequel. Well, it's probably because Flanagan got so big and is so huge doing other things. But I bet if somebody else pitched to do the sequel, not him, and he liked the idea, maybe it could happen. Because I think it was more like he didn't need the sequel because he was humming, you know? Aquilus needs a sequel. I'm into it. All right. You sold me. I actually do like the idea of following the the glass and not the family and yeah. stuff. Um, all right. I know this one's for you. Get ready. You'll need the full title, though. You ready? Brace yourselves for The Relic 2 Mama. Because we're going to set it at the Museum of Modern Art. And in Germany, the title's going to be Hethoga's Mama. And so I am going to have... I'm going to take the the idea because I love the relic. Uh, I'm going to have Penelope Ann Miller, who was working at the Chicago Museum where the last film took place. She gets her new job years later at the MoMA in New York, and she's thrilled. But something has followed her in the crates of the DNA, and it's going to somehow we'll have to get somebody cleverer than me to connect it to the mother of the creature from the first one, even though it's just a mix. There's no, mo- well, I was going to say, wasn't it just a guy? Who, that's like, why you won't be invited. To, well, no, it was a guy mixed with DNA from uh, insects. And it was like a bunch of things. But again, yeah, let's say his mother went to claim the body and got decapitated by hypothalamus at a museum exhibit. It's very complicated, Becca. You're not invited to this writing because you're, you're, you're too, you're too looking for the science. Uh, the point is we have Kathoga in the MoMA. Nuff said relic to MoMA. That's my pitch. 
Okay. Somebody please okay. make me a poster. I will I'll be forever grateful. Okay, so my next one. I want a sequel to As Above, So oh, yeah. Below. That'd be fun, yeah. I want these portals to exist around the world. So in that first one, we're exploring the catacombs under Paris and how it leads into this underworld and it literally leads into hell and everything gets flipped upside down. And it's, I loved this movie. This movie got shit on so much when it came out and I absolutely love this movie. I want one of these in catacombs around the world. Mm. I want one in the catacombs under the Vatican. How fucking crazy would that be if like people were exploring the catacombs under the Vatican and it literally takes you down into hell and they have built the Vatican on top. I want one in like catacombs under like Spain or the ones under London. Like I feel like there is so many places that you could take this. So I want more as above, so below any place there's catacombs there's entrances and that, you know, the cult exists around the world. So it's not a heavily thought out pitch. I just, I need more of this. I love this. I loved the concept in the side. I wish I had seen this one. Like I actually really dug it when I finally started on at home, but I wish I'd seen that one in the theater because it was such an assault. And so kind of like in your face, I think I'd love to just see if somebody ever puts that back in the theater. I'd love to watch that. It gave me motion sickness in the theater. I remember that one. Like I've always struggled with that. I've gotten a little bit better um, or maybe just, you know, found footage films have gotten smoother, but that was one that I specifically remember having to step out and take a breath and then go back in because it was so shaky. And it it just keeps Um, going and it it kind of spins you upside down and it's pretty wild. It does. And that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, my number four, okay, one one of my favorite movies I've always wanted more sequels or or whatever uh, is The Descent, Neil Marshall. Uh, mm-hmm. But the fact is we could have, and I, no one was really seeing Descent too. It's like not very good. And it was made by the editor and it was a little weak and uh, no one really, but we have the potential for a Descent 3D because it's three number three. And that seems like a great idea. I had two things. One, I actually pitched to Neil once at a party, which was a kind of a genuine idea that I had, which was like the making a prequel about the first group of miners who are stuck there but the twist is it's you know because they allude to them when in the first one you see they're also but the twist of the movie is you actually realize they are the ones who turn into the original creatures something happens and as a party like a donner party thing they all become these like uh these creatures that was one idea i had for a prequel but then i was thinking it would also be if it's going to be descent 3d I think it'd be kind of cool if Sarah and Juno, you know, the two survivors of the original get back together, even though they had the personal issues, they get back together and it's just them going down by themselves to eradicate any sense of the, like it's a total revenge movie shot in 3d where they've gone to eradicate any hint of these creatures uh together and it'd be fun to see those actors together Uh, i love the descent world i showed the descent hadn't seen in a few years and it's always been one of my favorite of that decade but i showed it to students this year who hadn't seen it and it's the the jump the moment where the thing is seen in the background of the video camera i i saw somebody almost fall out of a chair somebody knocked somebody else a guy knocked somebody out almost over i mean i hadn't seen jumps like that in so long it was so so cool to know this movie still has that ability um so yeah and i'd want neil to come back for this if we're doing descent 3d let's get him uh at the helm well um okay so for my third one I'm taking us back to 2008 and a film that I always have been waiting for the sequel for, and it has never come. I've been waiting for like 15 years now, and that is Pontypool. Oh, yeah. So Pontypool, I just love the world. I like the the crazies. It's almost like the start of the crazies. Like if that was how it began. It is, but the hook... 
a zombie virus that spreads through language. Uh That for me is such just a wide playing space that suddenly I'm like podcasts, you know, TikTok, how is it spreading through social media videos, things like that. I think that there is something so fun about looking at language usage and how it can be spread through social media. And so I feel like there's a lot there. I know that the the original director and writer of it, because it's based off a book, Pontypool Changes Everything. They've been talking about having a sequel to it since like 2010. Like this came out in like 2008. I feel like like a year later, they said, okay, we're making a sequel called Pontypool Changes Everything. Mm or Pontypool changes, and it has never happened. Um, So now like 14 years later, I'm still waiting for that. But I feel, again, it's just, I love the concept. I love the world. I feel like there is so much more you can do with kind of the virus that spreads through language, uh, through auditorily. I feel like there's something just so good there. Such a good idea too for a movie in it. And yeah, I agree. You could have seen, you could have totally seen where that story went next. Um, My number three is mostly a joke and aimed for you. Uh, you ready? Okay, so it's Thanks. it's uh, vampires with two dollar signs. Uh, this would be the John Carpenter sequel. All of yours are hilarious. Uh, I did like very serious things that I want a sequel for. I've got uh, there's a couple of Descent. I would want one. Uh, the next two are legit ones that I actually would want to do. But this one, uh, okay, so it's vampires two dollar signs. It would open. You'll see why it's for you in a second. So James Wood's character, Jack Crow, because James Woods obviously uh, would not be somebody you necessarily want to cast nowadays. Uh, he's going to be killed off in the opening scene by the oldest vampire who has come up with one of the eldest vampires uh, known to man who has figured out that if he can drink the blood of the Pope, that he will be able to walk in daylight. You know, and that's what he figures because this is a Vatican sponsored group, the vampires. If, if you don't remember the John Carpenter movie. Uh, and so of course the Vatican uh, needs to replace Jack Crow and they replace him with father Gabriel Amorth, AKA the Pope's exorcist. Russell Crow in vampires Two becomes the leader of the people going to kill vampires. Greatest movie ever killing vampires on a moped in Rome. Done writes itself. <laughs> I don't even need. I love this. I feel like you didn't give me the correct homework assignment (laughs) here. But that said, I love this concept. I I, I just want to watch this. Like if this movie existed, would I want to watch Russell Crowe in in the vampires world killing vampires? Yes, I would. Uh, Because everybody is clamoring to get a sequel to vampires. Well, they all will want a Pope exorcist sequel. And this would be a better one than seeing him do more exorcisms. Let me put Yours are more crossovers. They feel like collabs. This this comes from my Predator Purge world. Uh, okay okay yeah. yeah i did not get this in the homework it's just my it's okay. just my style doing i i only do it one more time and it's the best one ever but <laughs> and it's the last one i've got so two more good. i got two more one okay sequel. the next one that i was waiting for a sequel for like so excited about it and then it never came splinter from 2008 again i just loved this concept and i was like there is so much more that can be done with this um and this was brought back into my brain after the last of us because it's about this fungus that spreads kind of like a zombie virus splinter it's a virus or uh, sorry um it's a fungus and it infects you and it forms these splinters in your skin these like little barbs that stick out and they're really freaky um especially if you have like any type of skin phobias like there are these little splinters that kind of jut out from your skin it forces you to infect other people so think much like last of us where it makes you seek out people but it's specifically that the fungus it makes you seek out the the warmest thing in the room so it's constantly it seeks body temperature 
And then you will brush up against them. They will get a splinter and then it spreads inside of their body. This entire film, this was directed 2008 by Toby Wilkins. Um, it is so contained. It's about a couple who runs over. Uh, I can't even remember what the animal is. They hit an animal. They become infected with it um, on their way to a gas station. And then the entire thing happens with this like isolated group of people who are trapped at this gas station. And so it's real contained. I always wanted to see that fungus, the splinter fungus, if it kind of hit a larger area, if, you know, it had gone from that gas station into the nearby national park or things like that. So I always thought that there was a much bigger space for this because it was just such a cool kind of zombie yet disease yet fungus concept, which we weren't getting a lot of in 2008. I still feel like there's a lot of stuff that you can do with it. And the splinter monsters were just fucking, they were, they were amazing. So yeah, this was a winner of a film. Yeah. That's a, that's a really fun one. Um, my next one is the only thing I would actually write as fan fiction. I almost thought about starting this just to write it as a, and then try to pitch it to the director who we kind of know. Um, and that is the movie I'd most want to see a sequel to is house of the devil. Uh, my house of the devil, oh, yes. my house of the devil too, is actually like, honestly, I think it's a really solid idea if he would want to do it, but you know, so it would be exactly 10 years later, a pop-up or whatever we are now, if it's 12, whatever. But at the time I was thinking of it, it was like 10 years later is the first thing. And it would open with Jocelyn Donahue's eyes opening and waking up with a scream. She has been in coma for exactly 10 years because she shot herself in the head at the end of the first one. And as she wakes up, a nurse brings in her 10-year-old child because she was also pregnant when she when it happened to her in life. So now she's meeting a 10-year-old child for the first time that she's never met. And she's been and she has also given the paper saying, Yes, you and, and you inherited this house, which is the house of the devil house. So she returns this house with the, you know, coming out of this coma with this kid on the night of the blood moon. And it's basically the rest of the movie is going to be a siege movie where the Satanists are going to be sieging the house that she has to protect because they want to take the child who the is baby. The, the, the now 10 year old who she's she, who she, and the fun thing about the movie like that is who she has no real emotional connection she just met but is hers and she now has to and i think jocelyn donahue would be so fun to watch her get to like be in a movie like this playing that same role um again it's as close as i think i've ever come to actually sitting down going should i write a sequel to someone else's movie that will never You're just get, get a fanfic yeah, uh, it's about as close House as i've gotten um so maybe someday uh that, but that's the one i truly would of all these this is the one that i would actually like to see happen even if it's not the storyline i think that's a fun storyline but um i just love House of the devil so so this one is another one where I know this has been slated to happen like four different times. And I just need the studio to push it forward. Like I keep hearing like so-and-so is attached and so-and-so is attached and it has never happened. And this is urban legend. Mm. And I, I did had it on my master list the, too. Yeah. I did not put this down as a reboot because I don't want to obliterate the prior. I, I did the films same actually. I didn't have an idea. Again. I was like, Urban Legend yeah. would be good to just keep doing them. Yeah. Just keep doing them. And I feel like, you know, we did that one back in the 90s when we were hearing it was, you know, and it was so well posited at college campuses because that's where these stories were spreading. And it was back in the, the 90s and 2000s where it was very much kind of based on old time urban legends where it was like, you know, alligators in the sewer system, dog in microwave, that type of stuff. Um, you know, rattlesnake and ball pit. I feel like this world is so rich right now with internet legends, like the idea of, you know, fake news and what is real. And that suddenly, you know, we'll all get these notifications online of like, don't eat this anymore. It's going to cause cancer. Like, I feel like 
the world is nothing but urban legends right now. Um, like Snopes is one of my favorite websites because you can just go on there and it's every picture that you see on Facebook is fake. Everything that you're reading is fake. This is fake. Don't send that kid baseball caps. He's not dying of cancer. It's fake. Like the whole world is fake. And I feel like there is something so fun that could be happening here with the idea of the internet legend, of the internet rumors that are fake. And it hasn't happened yet. And I know this one has been in development with so many different people for so many. I mean, like this is one that, you know, Hollywood wants to do. So hopefully it will just move forward at some point. Maybe the way you're pitching. I want this. The way you're pitching it, that seems to me maybe like a series, like, you know, like it's a like high end series of urban legend. Each one is an hour. And like we go. I don't know. Yeah, that could be nice. I don't know. Anthological series are like a weird sell. They always want it to be like we need our central character and their arc and we have to follow them like they want like a supernatural where we're following Winchesters for, you know. 17 years or however yeah. long that ran for um it always like i've i've tried pitching anthological shows right now and it's a hard sell because everybody wants that like the character that we're going to fall in love with that we will follow anywhere so i don't know if it would work as an anthology but that said kind of somebody who is investigating internet legends on a college campus that you know things are happening on the college campus and deaths are happening around these internet legends i feel like there's still something it's such a rich area please make it happen hollywood uh i'm into it uh that one all right well i'll take us out with the absurd you thought my others were absurd this is the great this this trumps my best idea ever uh and killer clowns meets don't look now you're you're getting there but this is like like i'm not even kidding i would pretty much every cent of my bank account right now which is not much i would pay to see at this movie but uh okay i was gonna say podcasting and professorship you're yeah. gonna put like what 20 bucks in Probably less because we've been finishing an independent film so anyway um <laughs> but okay you had to pay color correction i did I yeah it. exactly all right get excited because this one actually like every, even saying it i'm like oh, is this a real movie i can beam into my eyeball okay it's time for our your next sequel uh, you're next too, because who doesn't want to see one of the best characters ever again? I want to see Sharni Vincent again. I will watch Sharni Vincent. So you will watch her in this movie because Sharni Vincent, uh, what, a decade, whatever it's been. Ten years later, Aaron is uh, finally returning home with her new fiance. Uh, she's is re- she going back to the survivalist? Yeah, camp? she's replaced AJ Bowen. She's returning okay. to Australia to to you know meet the fiance. Her and her fiance have left the airport. They're driving across country. They break down on a highway. And Mick from Wolf Creek picks them up, takes them to a thing, fucking kills the guy, starts chasing her. She leads him to the compound where her parents live and her and her parents end up fucking toying and killing and messing with. It'll be the final Wolf Creek movie and it's the ultimate your next sequel. And it's all in Australia. It's Ozploitation. We got Mick. We got Aaron. I can't imagine a movie that could be better than that. I got to be honest. I think it's better than Predator Purge. Well, let's see here. And here's where it will fall apart. I know that um, your next is through, I think, Lionsgate. Well, is that right? That's all Australia. Who's people Wolf, Wolf Creek Cre- through? Wolf Creek. Oh, people. Greg McLean, right? So I don't know. Yeah, anything. but what's it's always the production we company. We can't think in logistics like this. this oh, is- sure we can. See, um, this one, I don't know who did the U.S. distro on this. Um, Roadshow Dimension. Okay, so this is going to take some finagling. Yeah, but- I'm 90% sure that your next is through and Lionsgate. And if mixed to, I can't, and Mick might have asked actually passed away john jarrett might have passed away if he did we would have to get someone younger to play it and said but like this you know in the alternate universe of my brain i want to see that 
I want to see Aaron, one of the truly best final girls we've ever seen be- because they gave it a reason. I mean, that was just brilliant. Like they gave her skills and her like brilliance, uh, some backstory uh, going up against like one of the great Australian killers. I think it would be very entertaining. And I like that her parents. I would watch know, the shit out of and it. I, I love the idea of her leading him to the survivalist combat, him, him having no clue what he's entering and then realizing these people have been waiting for something like this their whole life. Uh, anyway, your next Wolf Creek. That's it. I can't do better. I got to retire now. My hot takes are over. <laughs> that was fun, though. I didn't even. I didn't even get to Doctor Giggles. And oh, that's okay. oh, okay. You've got till that next week okay. to come up with a good Doctor Giggles hot take, and I'll listen to it. You know, I, 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 I'm just gonna give this little bit of advice. There was one day that I was in with an exec at a studio, and I was pitching. Um, a reboot of a film that I absolutely loved. And they looked at me and they goes, why don't, why don't you just make that film and just don't call it this? Yeah. Like just, if it's that good of a concept girl, whose parents are in a survivalist compound right. and she meets a serial killer and lures it back there, just make that film and don't title it that right. because the title can sometimes be a hiccup. Well, and, or so because that, the title isn't big enough to even have been worth to, the IP. To, yeah. yeah, I get it. So, so that was kind of the advice that was given to me by an exec. And I suddenly went, oh yeah. Like I always think of the IP as something that's going to help it move along. But I guess at times it is a hindrance because I'm only thinking about it as a blank reboot and in actuality, it can stand on its own legs. So that is a message to our listeners of if you're ever like, holy shit, I want to write my fan fiction to this. Does it have to be for that? Maybe it's just a really good script on its own accord. I think that's good advice. And I will add to my Your Next Wolf Creek movie that the final scene where Mick's coming up behind her, and I forgot to mention she has a bedridden brother. We're going to call him Nick now. I'm sure that'll (laughs) skirt every copyright law. Uh, As he's about to, I forgot to mention that her brother who lives in Australia, she hasn't seen him. He's been bedridden for 30 years. He's actually been in a coma. His name's Patrick. He births to life because he's a psychic. Oh! And saves the day. Boom! And then he's like telekinetic and he's throwing shit holy all shit. three australian then, films boom i feel like we can throw a couple more in there we'll have to find some ways Choppa. to work that Choppa in. comes in i think Choppa. i think patrick Choppa's saving the day would get a good jump out of everyone so anyway uh that was too much fun it should be illegal uh anyway if any of those get made we want one percent and i just uh, want to give me that associate producer credit baby that's all i need yeah that's what we live for. <laughs> okay, I'll uh, fine. I'll take your one percent. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it is fun thinking this way, and it is a. I I know it's jokey. Most of the ones I was pulling, but I do think it's a really people might. It's actually pretty good mental exercise when you are thinking of these things because even if you never make yeah. these, it gets your brain going. What worked about those? Why are you so excited about some of these titles? Like, what is it? Like, why do I love Soul Survivor so much? I didn't bring that one up because, like you said, no one knows that title. So why would you remake mm-hmm. it? You would make something like it. You know. So I find it to be a really good creative exercise. And I do have to say some of the stuff that I do have that it's like, it's spawned out of God, I wish I could just make this. And then me saying, well, what would I do with it? Well, that feels different enough that I can take it out. So I always view it as a creative exercise to the point that I do it with my students when I teach my summer, um, my horror class is they have to pick a horror film. They have to reboot it, but they have to make it feel different enough that it would stand on their own. And the majority of the time, what they create is it it feels original, even if it's not, you know, I, I always say like, don't just give me another ghost face rehashing, give me, you know, a more obscure horror film and what you would do with it in contemporary terms. And it stands. So yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a fun creative exercise to kind of work your creative muscles. Yeah. So hopefully you guys had a fun with that because we had fun as a last minute shift to do uh, this week, just because we sometimes you just need to mix it up. 
Hell yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I am deep in a couple of books. I have a stack of movies to watch. I'm excited. We have a deep cuts coming up next week on our Patreon show. And I have watched some bonkers fucking shit this week. Yeah, I've watched really a bunch excited. too. Yeah. It, it should yeah. Be I, I am excited to talk about some of these. So some good stuff over there. I've got a couple of graphic novels that I'm ready to talk about. So we've got some good stuff in the works. Plus we've got Imaginary coming out in a couple of weeks. And I think we have Jeff Watlow set up for our next episode. So tune in for that. I'm excited to see this one. It sounds kind of like The Pit. And I can only hope it goes full The Pit. So we're just going to call it Jeff Watlow Reboots The Pit. There we go. Jeff Watlow's Teddy, we'll call it. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Brilliant. Uh, All right. Excellent. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 